no, no, no. The 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 live broadcasting it always takes like two seconds to kick in. Um, okay. yeah. So now I'll start. I'll I'll do the intro now. Oh, so you want me to start over the clock? Mm-mm, nope, we're already synced up. We're good. Um, right. Okay. So here's what happened as a proud member of the But Why Little podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. I'm Nisha, and I'm always joined by Carolyn. Yes. Hey. And first, before we get started with anything else, happy anniversary, Carolyn. Happy anniversary, Nisha. Yeah. We made it to one year. We've done over 12 episodes because this used to be just a monthly podcast. But we this as of right now, in this month, it'll be our anniversary. So very excited. We have come a long way and we're just so thankful that I want, I'm very thankful to do the show with you and I'm very thankful for all the fans and like all the listeners and everything and all the opportunities we've had through this show. So thank you guys. And thank you, Carolyn. And thank you listeners for tuning in and listening to us. And thank you, Nisha, for being my co-host. This has been an amazing year. We've done so much. We've done, um, Mm -hmm. I did a little bit of stuff at Comic-Con. Then of course we have Tiff. Mm-hmm. and some other stuff that we're going to be doing for the remainder of the year that we were mentioned later on down in the podcast but yep it's been a pretty yep. good year i agree i agree yeah and then, oh yeah and so in south by southwest like through this show i got to go to south by mm-hmm. southwest and thank you to the but why though community mm-hmm. yes i mean it's not it hasn't been a year yet for us joining them but i feel like that they've been a great help with our podcast mm-hmm. too so mm-hmm. shout out to y'all all righty now that we've been all mushy and stuff let's get into it <laughs> what you read girl okay i finally started back reading comments because the last one i did i did um scarpia which is by john by john and then i got the first two issues for ronan island by greg pax so that's what i'm going to be talking about mm-hmm. today so this is a comic and it is written by Greg Pack and illustrated by um Lord, hold on, sorry. <laughs> My screen okay. went black with all the info. Mm-hmm. And I'll so I'll give the info in the I don't know what happened. My screen went completely black. And but it's a it's about um it's in the Shogun era of um I believe it's in Japan. We we haven't really gotten an exact location. A, a lot of it mm-hmm. is, is focused on two main characters, Hana, who's Korean, a Korean expat, and Takeshi, who is Japanese. He's the son of a samurai. And in the first two issues, it starts about it starts with them having this competition to be who would, I guess, be the island's main protector. And they're all young. They're both young. They're teenagers. But there's this event that happened called the Great Wind. And mm. I'm not sure exactly what that is. It hasn't been explained yet, but it's whatever it is, it drove a lot of people from the mainland onto this island. And they have this whole idea of where together they're stronger so like everyone works together for the good of the community and the good of the island which is a really good um a really good uh philosophy to have for as for people living on an island because like you you, you only have each other to depend on but then this um this samurai named sato he comes and he's like okay there's a shogun and I want you to declare fealty to me and to the shogun and we will protect you. And they're like, protect us from what? And so like whatever the great wind happened, whatever it was, the great wind was, um, it created these creatures, which are kind of like zombies, but they're not. Hmm. And as the first, 
two issues that the first issue sets up um, Hannah Takeshi's story a little bit and tell you like they have this rivalry going on. But then the second one, we get a little bit more info on like what these creatures look like. And it affects both humans and animals, which I think is super interesting. Um, so now whatever it was that caused the event ha- is beginning to reach the island. So now they're going to have to like band together to fight. And there's this struggle between Hannah. Hannah is like, okay, I can put my personal feelings aside for Sato and like, if we all need to survive, we all got to work together. Whereas Takeshi, he's strong-headed and he's very obstinate. They both are, but he's more obstinate. And, like he thinks he's always right. He's like eager to fight, and he mm. all everything for him is like, oh, like like I'm right. He's ready to fight at a moment's notice, which in a leader is mm. could be a very bad trait. Um, yeah. but <laughs> it's not said specifically. But I'm wondering if the great wind is um supposed to be symbolic of the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki during the Second World War. Because mm. um, so, I'm thinking like if what these things could have been created by radiation, I'm guessing that that's not what it is particularly, but I'm wondering if this is like a discussion on like the geopolitics with like what happened in Japan with, during the Second World War when like America dropped the, the atomic bomb on mm. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. But also there is the like there is also going to be um I'm guessing discussion on like the Korean war with Japan, because like there was a time where Japan actually went over to Korea and they, you know, they, they're imperialists and they did what they did. And like, they actually had them under subjugation for mm-hmm. a while, which is what they also did with China. So it's going to be interesting to see what, how both the politics and like the, and the fighting and the storylines between Han and Takeshi develop. So I'm really looking forward to see what, where Greg Pak takes the story. Wow. No, that sounds awesome. I like it. Um, I definitely like the connection, like your theory of it being related to the bombing. Because I think yeah, that's I'm a guessing good. That's I mean that it, it's got me hooked. So I think I'm definitely gonna have to pick that up. And so is this is this like a new series that just started like a new comic book altogether, or is it has it been going on for some time already? Uh, this is a brand new comic created by Greg Pak and it's mm. beautifully drawn and illustrated. I it's like you know me I love action and I love like samurai Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by samurai culture and Japanese culture so like and now there you have two two characters both Korean and Japanese in this one story that's going to be interesting to see how Mm -hmm. like their their histories and their heritages interact with each other but yeah it's a completely new story Mm -hmm. so I have I bought the first two issues so the so the second issue I believe came out near the end of April so the first issue was released, I believe, in maybe March mm, of this nice. year. So I'll add the information in the link in, in the show notes once we get it posted. But it's a beautifully drawn um, comic, and I'm trying to get back into comics. And I think this was a starting with this scrap is a great way for me to, to get back into them. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, I'm also a fan of Greg Pak. So like this definitely sounds like something I want to check out because I loved his work with Planet Hulk. Uh, right, yeah, because so. he did um he did a lot of um Marvel stuff too, right? Because he did, mm-hmm. I think, was he involved with Amadeus Cho? I think he was involved with Amadeus Cho. I think oh. he may have been. I'm looking at the website and it says like comics written by Grappa, and in the Marvel comics it says, um, New World, Alpha Flight, Amadeus Cho, Astonishing X Men, Doctor Strange, Season One, Hercules, Hulk. So that would make think, sense. Yeah, that makes sense if he was involved with that one too. No, and yeah. see, Amadeus Cho is what I've been. The Amadeus Cho Hulk is the one I need to like get caught up on. I've been I've fallen so off of my regular comic books. I need to get back into it. So, yeah, 
but there's so much there's so much stuff to read <laughs> there is i'm trying to take my time and i'm not trying to get too much into comics because like mm-hmm. there's like way too much to get caught up on and plus these things cost money and i ain't made money um yeah. <laughs> but like yeah, i really it's... wanted to get into these and also i want to start reading um I went when I went to the the bookstore, which I got at the Beguiles here in Toronto at um, Spadina and Wilcox. For anyone who in Toronto may be listening, um, I was like, okay, you know what? I've been interested in the Shang Chi series because like the Marvel's doing the film, and I wanted I wanted to I wanted to do some research on the character and stuff. And I went looking for like some of the introduction, introductory comics and like his own storyline. Like there's so much, and like I was like, oh, I might be may read some of the original stuff, but. I don't think I will because looking at the covers alone, I'm like, there's going to be some, on um, there's going to be some comments in these made by characters in these comments that's going to probably piss me off because it's cringy. Like one of the characters called him Pajama Boy. I'm like, uh, mm. I think I'm going to go look for the younger, not the younger, but the later edition Shang Chi. You know the younger version of Shang Chi. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. The more updated, yeah. the more um, yeah, aware. The more, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's why i'd be like oh do i want to read this 1960 something black panther mm-hmm. uh, i don't know <laughs> it's, always a, exactly. it's always it's always a gamble i'm just like uh maybe not mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> well on that note i also read a comic <laughs> Um, I read a web. I would. I read a webtoon comic. This one is called Let's Play. So mm-hmm. the summary is: uh, she's young, single, and about to achieve her dream of creating incredible video games. But then life throws her a one-two punch. A popular streamer gives her first game a scathing review. Even worse, she finds out that the same tr- troublesome critic is now her neighbor. A funny, oh. sexy, and all-too-real story about gaming, memes, and social anxiety. And that's called Let's Play. So, again, I think y'all have learned by now. I'm addicted to Webtoon. I got the app on my phone. I'm subscribed to all my favorite ones. And this one is definitely one of my favorite um, comics to read from Webtoon right now. Uh, So, yeah, the premise is this young girl... When she was younger, she had they haven't specified what her illness is, but she has some kind Mm. of chronic condition where she was, like, hospitalized um, for a, a big chunk of her life. So, she, like the way she really got to like have fun when she was in the hospital room, like she had extended stay sometimes is that she got to play video games. So through video games, she was able to have fun. And like, also that was how, that was how she connected with people. But because also she didn't have like a lot of opportunity to play and like go to school, like most of uh, her other peers, um, she kind of developed this social anxiety, but you learned like through gaming, there's like a lot of ways how she like connected with people. Like there's her, her friends are all into gaming. Like they all game online together and they have a, like, it's like a world of Warcraft spinoff kind of thing that they do. And like, they have connections with one another. Um, and then, so it, it's kind of nice to see like, oh, this is like really positive how online gaming can like, you can make friendships and relationships and they can go from there. But like the bigger plot of it all is that she makes this game and this guy, this streamer who she's been a fan of for years since he started, he moves in next door and he also like, he doesn't play the game the right way. So he thinks he gives it a very bad review. And then she gets all of this online hate because the fans, he didn't say for the fans to hate it, but all the fans took it and ran with it. And they started pointing hate at her. Um, 
And then you might ask, like, where does the romance come in? Well, guess what? You know, like those dating simulators, like the games, uh, like dating sim games. Like a, there's yeah, a girl. Yeah. Okay, so th- this comic is like a dating sim. So she's like, there's like three guys that she constantly is having contact with. One is the streamer who just moved in next door. They kind of have like a banter at first. And like, you know, that whole trope of there was a misunderstanding and they end up becoming friends. And then one is a childhood friend. And another one is a guy who works at her dad's company who's slightly older than her. So, yeah. And it's just going through like from her point of view and like you you're just like seeing all the things that she's going through and Ooh. just yeah but it, and it really like when it talks about anxiety the anxiety is very relatable like i really felt this there's a scene when she's like she has a problem with confrontations so she like and like the way the animator and anim- i'm sorry the illustrator animates the anxiety is very mm-hmm. like powerful like so imagine an icon kind of thing like a just a a body and then it has anxiety a big bubble over its head and it's like looming it's looming over her like it's almost like clutching her and like making her her chest constrict and like wow that does make me feel how like my anxiety feels sometimes Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's really good but then also it's like showing how she copes and how she deals with her anxiety and like how her friendships help her get through it yeah, that sounds interesting. That actually kind of, kind of reminds me of a of a Chinese drama that I watched recently called Love hmm. Otuo. Oh. And, and the premise is this is like both real world and virtual because a lot of a good portion of the show takes place in a game world. So oh. it's like this. Um, I would say it's basically it's like a martial arts game, um, a Chinese era. So I'm not sure if it's which dynasty, probably Qing dynasty or one of those um, dynasties. But mm. Like the characters, they have like real world. Re- they have relationships within the game. So like, there's um, there's you have families, you have groups, you have um, clans, and you have relationships. Like people actually get married. Like they form like alliances and they get married. And they're like, okay, so like my that you have the husband and wife and like their friends are gonna form like a clan. And they're anytime a character gets challenged to a competition uh, or fight. Mm-hmm. They all band together. They're like, we're going to fight this for you. We're going to fight your fight for you and like get um, points and games and stuff. But a lot of the stuff that have that affects them in the game affects them in real life, too, because like, yeah, like I really like the, the show because like this, like what you kind of described, like the female character, um, mm-hmm. Bei Wei, like she she faces a lot of like sexism and like a lot of um people are like judge her because of her looks because she's like very very pretty mm-hmm. and like people underestimate her beauty and like they think oh she only cares about her looks and she's like she could really care less about her looks and she's more about her academics because she's like a computer sciences major and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but it kind of made me interested in like those kind of I guess you could say storylines where you have people who who work who live in a game and live outside and like I know yeah. you guys like you and Kate and like Lizzie and you guys are do gaming and like that has never really been my thing mm-hmm. but it's always interesting how people find different ways to cope with like anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and like those games like gaming isn't just gaming it's like a way for people to cope and to meet people it's kind of how we are on twitter right like we, yeah. we meet people on twitter before friends and families on twitter right for other people they'll be like i don't get it like mm. do you know this person have you met like <laughs> no but they're my sister and they're my friends i'll fight for them yeah that kind of situation exactly. right yeah 
No, I agree. I agree completely. Oh, and before I forget, the creator. Okay, so on Webtoon, I've noticed that like some creators don't put their full actual government name out there. So they go by Mangi, Manji, M-O-N-G-I-E. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Mangi. Okay, yes. So that's how that's what they go by on there. And it's like you said, like I think they've talked about how the inspiration for this, like this whole story was based on just like personal experience from friends or like how they've like played games and they know like it helps them with coping and like just it's it's a fun love story but also mm-hmm. it's nice to read a story that's relatable and you can see yourself in and like there's so many different characters that you can see yourself in and my favorite thing is that like you like it's like an easter egg game almost where she um uses video game references and like the characters names so um one of the love interest name his nickname is link like from zelda and okay, see, that means nothing to me. I know nothing about. I, I know <laughs> a tiny bit about that. I think I know the theme song. Yeah. I don't know the guy wears like a green hat and he looks like yes. an elf. Yes, kind of, I, I, him. That that, that game. Yeah. That's so she names some of the characters after video games, and it's it's just cute. And she has a little puppy, and her and his name is Bowser from like Aww. yeah. So so are your brothers? Yeah, exactly. You know things. <laughs> I know I know some games not a whole bunch I know some like the classics yeah but then it's, it's just really good and the girl she know how to draw attractive men so hey like, <laughs> Carolyn, I think you'd like it <laughs> your ways and say mm-hmm, I got you <laughs> all right well that concludes the reading corner for me um let's move on over to tv what have you been watching on television <sighs> okay so for television, uh, I was gonna do like uh, I was I was actually gonna talk about Love O'Toole, but I'm like I've been talking so much about like Asian dramas, like I always bring mm-hmm. up almost every opportunity I get. But one of the really the shows that I really really enjoy this season, um, it's wrapped up now is on my blog. Yes. So this one I'm gonna be talking about today. Yes. I think that they've done a really good job for this this second season of On My Block with how they carried over a lot of the stuff from season one into season two and mm-hmm. of course the biggest change is olivia is dead um she mm-hmm. gone people spoilers um yeah. <laughs> like because you know season one ended off with her and rudy her and rudy getting shot and mm-hmm. we were like if rudy dies <laughs> i am going to write uh, i'm like burn she, it down <laughs> she, she can go nobody care about her she can mm-hmm. she can she can go it's and like she, and- she went <laughs> mm-hmm. well see and that's the thing and there's layers to this i just want to speak on this very quickly when it comes to that character the character I- i'm a little sad the actor the actress she can go i i don't have no feelings she was getting in the way of my the, of my ship that i wanted anyways so she can go but yeah nah. i i i didn't really miss i didn't miss the character either because to me to be honest she didn't really like she didn't really do much for me for the first season because like all she did was like yeah Ruby Ruby loved her and he was in and like he he yeah. she was like his first really big crush and he was like you don't know it yet but you I'm gonna be the love of your life which I guess kind of uh, was actually I mean I think because, that's like, what it is I think it's, eventually <laughs> yeah but I think that's what it is I feel sad for Rudy mm-hmm. and I like the character's story but then when you find out like you said like. You, they have this great this character story about like oh her parents can't come back from Mexico because they were like you know bringing in the current political issues that are going on today 
um mm-hmm. into the story and then like there's that whole story so you're just like man that my heart goes out to this character because like her fan she can't be with her family it's her quinceanera and all this stuff is going on and then she, she gets shot and dies so it's like it's more like i feel sorry about the characters around her mm. than actually her leaving because then we find out that the actress is a trump supporter and white uh, yeah and we're like oh really oh. did you guys not think about this when you were casting her did they not uh, know? I'm like what what the hell yeah, but again, this season, um, mm-hmm. Jason Ganeo, who plays Rudy, it's Ruby, actually, I keep saying Rudy, but it's oh, Ruby. Oh, my bad, Ruby. And Brett Gray, who played Jamal, mm-hmm. and um, Julio Macias, who plays Oscar. To me, they were the three standouts for me this season. Like, they were the mm-hmm. three standouts last season. And again, they to me, they carry this whole show because I swear... Caesar gets on my blinking nerves. I know mm. he's a teenager, and I make I know teenagers make stupid decisions. Yeah. And like when I was a ch- when I was a teenager, I made I did some some stupid things. I'm like, girl, what are you doing? But mm. there's things that he doesn't like. He never it see it's like he never learns from his mistake. Mm. And one of the things he does, and it irked me again, is like he slept with this other girl because he was temporarily broken with Mossy. Yes, they were broken, but I'm like. Why is this your first option or your first choice? Like, mm-hmm. you have other people there to talk to. You have, he couldn't talk to Oscar because of what was going on. But mm-hmm. you have Ruby there. You have um, Jamal there. You have Jamal's parents were there because he was living them for a while. I'm like, you have all these people that you can turn to. And like, why are you making these? And it created so much needless drama between him and Monse when they got back together. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, writers. You did this in season one. Don't make this a recurring theme for uh, for Caesar. And the reason I don't like it partly because it's it's because of the character because he's a Latin he's a Latino right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like I don't want this I don't want them to like be falling into trope where like he's basically like a set grade a set grade theater um, teenager if where he's either running from bullocks or running to girls to get to, to sleep with like please don't make this a trope. I don't want to see this again in season three. I don't. Mm-hmm. I hear you. And I mean, like, cause you're right. It's like the, it's a tired trope of the will they, won't they? Like they throw him, like they are together, and then they're not together, and then you throw in the mix of like another girl, and then it's like it's just gonna add more drama. And I get it. It's a dramatic, it's a dramatic series, but yeah. at the same time, ugh, can we do something else to cause drama besides Caesar making poor decisions when like that affects Marseille? Not Marseille. Wait, what am I saying? Monse. Monse, thank you. Um, I had Marseille Martin on my brain for some reason. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's just, ugh, it's annoying. I, I do get tired of that trope whenever it's like, you know, two characters are in, are in a relationship on a show. Especially, but then like, to your point, just do something else. Yeah. So, but apart from um, those two that I mentioned, my other favorite of this season was um, Jasmine, played by Jessica Marie Garcia. Mm. We finally got a bit more into her backstory, like why she's always so, she's, optimistic but she's also very realistic about certain things she's very pragmatic mm-hmm. and i like how they explained her backstory because i'm not should i spoil it yes yeah so what happened is her dad was in i believe it was afghanistan and he was wounded so he came back and he's mentally and physically disabled like severely um in the fact mm-hmm. that he's in a non-responsive state he's not like fully i don't think he's fully catatonic he could be oh, but they, wow. they don't say exactly but like so she takes like there's a scene where she's taking care of him and like ruby is he has ptsd and i love the fact that they discuss 
him going through such a traumatic event of getting shot and watching someone that he loved and cared about die in front of him. Mm-hmm. And they as part of PTSD, but she's a, she's she's there to help him get through it in the fact that he she herself is familiar with PTSD and depression mm-hmm. because her father went through that and she kind of ha- had to like deal with it as a child ha- dealing with a parent who has this um, severe dis- disabilities, right? And so she was like, I bit I I know where you're coming from. Not and she the thing about her is that she doesn't patronize or condescend to him. She's like, I don't know where you're going to, but she's like, I understand. And there's a difference that a lot of people don't get. People like there's a difference between saying, I know where you're coming from and they're and like if you do know good, but if you mm-hmm. don't fully know, but if you understand because you've been in a similar situation, there's a difference. And like I like the fact that they explored that and they gave him time to grieve and they gave her the opportunity to connect with him. On a, on a deeper level beyond having a crush because, you know, season seven was all about her just running behind him and she was just, like, always wanted to be with him and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But they were, like, but they came to the point where she's, like, I can be your friend, right? I don't want to be around you just because, like, I want to be your girlfriend or whatever. She's, like, I want to be your friend. I'm going to be here to help you mm-hmm. if no one else can. And I love the fact that they developed those two relationships and those two characters really well. And I think it's important to see, especially for... um for um, people of color, especially young people of color and Latinos to see them discussing these kind of deep, heavy topics, right? Because these are things that affect like people of all ages. Like it's not just mm-hmm. adults who've been in like, who grew up and have stress and whatever, who've been in serious situations, like teenagers who, who go through traumatic experiences, have PTSD, have depression, right? And it's important to show, to show this. And I think they did a really good job handling it this season. I think it's probably the best part of the story that was done the best part of the that story that was done this season so mm-hmm. it took really good extra care with doing that that's awesome i do like that because i mean i liked her character in for in the first season but i, I kind of felt like i wanted more of her so i, I like well for, let me just start, start by saying i haven't seen this yet because i need to time i need to find some time to just sit down and watch and binge the whole thing or carve out mm-hmm. time to just like get through it but i like that we're that character got her justice and, and like open and we get to know more about her where she's coming from exactly. um and especially like you like you said like it doesn't have to be that they instantly get into a relationship like, like you can truly like start a relationship as friends like a non-romantic yeah. relationship and i mean that's so nice and refreshing because i feel like in so many series it's like if a man and a woman are friends it's like almost instant that they will be together Mm-hmm. And I like, I, I like, it's like build, build it up, build the relationship up or have that foundation of a friendship and like see where that can go. I think that's really nice. And they're, and they're so young. So, and yeah. he needs somebody like that. I can't even imagine like what that, what the character is going through. And it's nice that like, oh, here's somebody that can at least be there for him in a way that mm-hmm. other people maybe not be able to be there for him, even like his closer friends and stuff. That's nice. Right. Yeah, and the thing with the thing is, is like even she still wants to be in a romantic relationship with him, but she she's mm-hmm. mature enough and she understands enough to like put mm-hmm. her own personal feelings aside. Because the thing that you will see in like um, just like basically almost any show, whatever, something like this happens, ever someone loses someone, the first thing they do is sleep together. And we're like, true. This really happens all the time. Like everyone Which immediately true. after something happens, they don't immediately like turn to sex, and like you have the mm-hmm. relationship developing because they have that physical relationship more than the romantic and the emo- more than sorry more than the emotional um connection and like, mm-hmm. i like the fact that for a show that, that you do see like like where they have discussed like sex and stuff especially in season one between monse and caesar mm-hmm. it showed um jasmine and ruby like 
putting a pause. They were like, no, let's develop this friendship first. That's good. And that's 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 real because I'm with you. It's like there's so many like in the romance genre, there's always like, oh, this person left me and now I'm going to go jump with you. And it's only been a week. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that could probably happen. And it's nothing wrong with how people move on and process relationships and breakups. But it's also like, I have such a hard time believing that like, you're able to like, just jump to something new without bringing in baggage. And that's like, and, yeah. it's, and it's just like, and, and I'm talking about in a romance genre sense, um, I'm not talking about real life, but it's just like, make it more relatable. Like people, you, I, I think if you go on and like jump into a new relationship with someone, you want to, I don't know develop it and not just like dive in so it won't like it can actually be successful yeah but you know that's romance genre but i'm i also eat it up so i can't talk um <laughs> nice. so do i thank you i know i'm like well they know me i'm like i'm not, it's like uh, i like relatability but i also like steamy romance so on that note um for me I watched the new Netflix series Bonding. And Ooh, yeah, I haven't heard of this one. You haven't heard of it? No. Okay, well, let me read you the brief synopsis. A New York City grad student moonlights as a dominatrix and enlists her gay best friend from high school to be her assistant. Oh. Yeah. So, when I saw the trailer, first the trailer is really funny and that's what got me to watch it. Um it is very, very funny and very, uh, I, I would say, aware and in, insightful into the world of, of being a dominatrix. I'm not saying it is the uh, exact way that a dominatrix is, like how that world is, but it at yeah. least is like it's doing it from the lens of not being judgmental when it comes to people, like when it comes to kink shaming, when it comes to sex and like preference, like all these things, it's very much educational for people to understand like what is a dominatrix. And then like the, through the lens of her best friend, we, the audience are learning like what is a dominatrix and what is that like for you? And like, what is it like for like elite people who are in this kind type of sex work? So it's kind of like, Oh, wow. You get to learn something and be entertained at the same time. So that was like something I really liked about it. But I mean, I knew things from like, you know, I listened to some podcasts where I've listened like to a dominatrix who did a whole interview. And if I remember, it was on another round, but they had um, there was a black woman who's a dominatrix and like she like talked about it. And I was just like, I really enjoyed it from her lens because she's talking about it from the lens of a black woman. And but um, yeah, if I remember it, I'll put it in the show notes. But for this show, it's interesting to see from this point of view, from these two characters, from the best friend who's being brought in because he is dealing with, you know, he has social, um, I won't say social anxiety. He's nervous. He wants to be a comedian. He's a waiter right now. He's trying to be a comedian, but he's shy. He has terrible stage fright. So he keeps backing down from be- doing that. And then the friend, the person who's the dominatrix, she is uh, a grad student. She's becoming a psychologist. And I'm like, this is interesting. Like, a, a dominatrix who is studying to become a psycho a psychologist i'm just like this is interesting because i can think of like how that can be applied through therapy for people like her, yeah, her, her yeah from like her like what area and it, i guess that i'm getting in the weeds because she's still in school but it's like oh from her point of view she's like a very non-kink shame non-judgmental person when it comes to um the, her other line of work but then it's also she can apply it to being a psychologist which I think is needed 
because you're going to have so many different clients and maybe that's allowing her to like give a form of therapy. But yeah, there are, I think there are, there are therapists that do, that kind of do similar stuff. There's like sex mm-hmm. therapists and they have to exactly. like and know how to like reach people that have um, sexual dysfunctions or mm-hmm. like, you know, like certain things that correlate to um, sex and sexuality. Like you have to be able to like, reach mm-hmm. them. And a dominatrix, and not that I know much about it, but like, I imagine that you do have to understand a little bit about human psychology because mm-hmm. you have to know like how far to push your clients and how far and like when to step back. Right? Yeah, and it's all about listening to like verbal cues or body cues. They have to be able to read their mm-hmm. clients who can learn like if they have them like gagged or whatever when they can't speak. Like you got to be able to read them, yeah. right? Yeah, so, like, it's, so like, exist- it's all about psychology. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and then that's kind of like a, an element that's brought in because she, while she's explaining to him what it, what is her job and how does she do it, and like she, he's like his first question is like, so you're a prostitute? She's like, I'm not a prostitute, and she's like, I don't have sex with men for money, and like she's like, I, I don't have sex with men, like she, basically I don't have sex, and she's like, also there's nothing wrong with prostitutes, so like because yeah, and she's like educating him and correcting him on like sex workers are workers and they deserve to earn their money the way they are earning it and they deserve to be safe. So the whole reason she brings him into her line of work is because she needs somebody, preferably she wants a man to be her assistant because sometimes her clients might get too handsy or like they, Mm -hmm. there's like even like the threat, like the threat of being assaulted because of her, like you never know like the clients and like she always takes all these protective measures and she doesn't like want her like she doesn't want it to get out in the public that what she's doing so she's trying to like just be protective of herself but then she also is being selective by choosing him because you know you want somebody you can trust to be your assistant um yep so i think like oh that's very interesting i mean like it's very i feel like people don't i I feel like it's always criminalized like sex work is it's always criminalized in a lot of things i think and i'm talking about in the entertainment realm I think mm-hmm. it just recently it's gotten better where people are understanding that like, hey, there are sex workers who are consenting to do this work. And then there is sex working where women aren't being consenting of doing this work. And that's where I want people to just like kind of draw that line when it comes to writing about them versus like, right. It's like, I can't, I'm not, I'm thinking of pretty woman at the top of my head right now. But I feel like pretty woman is probably like a, that was at the time a decent example of like a woman who's consenting to it. Whereas like, then you go to like law and Edit order SVU. And then people talk about prostitutes as if they have their disease ridden people who don't have lives. Yeah. So I thought this one was a really good take on one being insightful, but also as the audience is watching, we're entertained, but we're also learning about a little bit about this world from these characters points of views. Um, also the interesting is it's kind of like Russian doll. Where, like, you know how Russian Doll is, like, I didn't realize how short the episodes were, but it's the same thing with this series. So I don't know if it's a new thing Netflix is doing, but, like, I binged through the whole series in one night. Oh, so how much episodes was it? It's, like, I think it's seven. Oh, yeah, that is. Okay. Yeah, if they're, like, 20, because Russian Doll, I think episodes were, I think, were, like, 25 minutes. Yeah. Oh, half hour. It's, like, these are, like, 15 minutes, like, between 15 and, uh... Let me just pull it up really quickly. If it wants to come up, because my phone is slow. Okay. It is. Yeah, it's seven episodes. Mm. Oh, and as a bonus, do you you've watched a good place, correct? Yeah. 
I've been watching Janet, the last season though, but yeah. Janet from the good place is in it. Oh, that's what? She is as one of the well, yeah. So she is the wife of one of the clients. Oh. And the thing about it is she approaches um them to, to for her husband because she and like this there's i'll talk about this a little bit it's a little bit of a spoiler but it's not that big of a deal um it brings up a good point of like how couples maybe like someone isn't into one of their kinks mm. and they don't want to participate yeah. so it's like her solution there is i want you to do what he wants for me and it's like you can see but it also adds tension because you can see that she's irritated by his kink so it's kind of like they need to talk it out and it's almost like as the as the series progresses it gets to the point where they it almost seems like she's the therapist and like they're doing couples counseling because they need to talk through like hey yeah i have some stuff to talk through and you can't work through them through us like through me and my assistant because Mm -hmm. that's not healthy for anyone involved oh that's interesting yeah but Definitely recommend it. It's very good and it's funny and like I said, insightful. So, um, yeah, that was what I read. And now we will close out with film. What you go see, girl? I of course went to see Endgame, but we already have a whole episode directed um dedicated towards that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about Snowpiercer, directed Yay. by Bong Joon Ho. Now. This is the same director that did The Host, um, which is one of the most popular like Korean horror films done. And mm-hmm. I love it. I watched it earlier this year for the first time. Loved it. Um, I really liked Oja. Um, he is known for his visual styling. And, and the fact is how he frames his characters, where he's, how he frames his, his characters is very interesting. Because he also mm-hmm. did... Um, no, he didn't do Looper, did he? No. Um, and I think Snowpiercer is a visual masterpiece. I think it's one of the most well-shot films I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it, like the cast was like spot on for the casting. And it stars Chris Evans as Curtis. It stars um, Song Kang-ho as Nam Joon, Min-so, Ed Harris as Wilford. John Hurt as Gilliam, Tilda Swinton as Mason, Jamie Bell as Edgar, Octavia Spencer as Tanya, and um, Luke Pasquiliano as Gray. And it's a post-apocalyptic world, but the difference is everything is taking place on a train. Mm-hmm. Now, we the reason I want to discuss this is, even though it's a, it was done in 2013, but the reason I want to discuss this is because I recently watched this, like, this Saturday night before we, we recorded this, and we did it for Saturday Night Sci-Fi Life Tweet. And I hadn't watched this film in, like, three years, but I knew how good it was. And mm-hmm. when you're, like, this film, I think, is when you're talking about the state of politics the world is in, and, like, everyone is talking about um, climate change and how human beings are basically trashing the Earth and, like, mm-hmm. the effects it can have. Like, this film discusses that really, really well. And it kind of reminded me of children of men in the fact it talks about how men and capitalism and, and destroys the world and, and how when at the end of the world, when you have a certain amount of people left, so that the only hope we have are children. Right. And, it, but this film looks at it in the fact, because all like children, maybe you have like, you, there's still kind of a, a functioning 
a governing body. Like there's a lot of, in a lot of post-apocalyptic um, films, there's always still a government, right? This one, there mm-hmm. isn't a government because everything's taking place on this like super long train. There's this one guy who's this, who's Wilford played by Ed Harris, who created the train, right? He, mm-hmm. he created the train and the, the train is basically a representation of, caste systems and class systems so that you have the people at the back of the train they're considered the lowest to the low they're completely disposable and then as you move from the back of the train up to the front like you literally go through different like um climates you 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 go through different um i guess you could say like sex of society because you have like the people the opium den which is it's like an opium den but it's this thing called chrono which is uh byproduct of the waste the train produces but it like people get high on it like it was like it's open and there's literally a whole car that's like a, a literal chrono den there's nightclubs there's like and then you get to the front of the train like the richer the people get but it makes no sense because the money isn't a currency right but it's the same thing as with like everyday society like mm-hmm. right, the higher you the higher you go the richer everyone is and like the class system is like very evident and then to the very front, you have this one man who's in charge, who's like literally in charge of everything. And like you have this man subjugating a, a whole class of society. He's determining who he thinks is worthy of living. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same thing with politics, right? You have people, you have like people who are leaders who are like, I'm going to determine who who gets health benefits. I'm going to determine mm-hmm. who is worthy of getting a well-paying job of who of I'm, I'm, I'm going to help people get out of poverty. I'm going to. I'm going to keep them in poverty because it benefits me. Right. So it's the same thing. And like this film is, I, I think it's, it's so I, you know me, like I always talk about uh, Train to Busan because one of the things I love about Train to Busan is using a train mm-hmm. as a set for one film is, is challenging, but it's brilliant because it forces the creators and the actors to like really pay attention to like their spatial awareness and to like know where the mm-hmm. camera is and like where how everything is going on like to keep the flow how do you keep a how do you keep a the flow of a, of a how do you keep a story flowing where you don't really have a you don't have you don't really change locations because if you're watching a film like you can tell certain situations happen in the living room it happens in the bedroom it happens in an office building you know but here like everything is in a train but because you have the different compartments representing different um like environments like they use it really really well and mm-hmm. i just love this film it's one of chris evans best performances Absolutely. and you know there's a scene everyone talks where he talks about he the thing that he hates about himself is that he knows what a what human tastes like and like mm-hmm. that i remember the first time i watched this film like that broke me because i was like good lord imagine the desperation that you yeah. have to have to to eat Mm-hmm. to willingly eat another human being like someone that you were just looking at you're willing to like kill them and like a baby like he was talking about he knows he knows that babies taste best i'm like oh my god it, it's not because it's yep. gross but like the fact that you have to think of like the, where a human being has to take themselves mentally mm-hmm. do something like that right so like right. he discusses the way it's handling the film is very Oof. realistic and it's very empathetic and yeah. like you feel for him and it, it, it breaks your heart because you're like he he didn't think that he could be that evil and because it tells you yeah he thought he was evil but it's like there's a difference between like because if you look at his character curtis and then if you look at um wilford like yeah. they're both they both did heinous things but like for completely different reasons like he was trying mm-hmm. curtis was trying to survive like he wanted to like live to see the next day whereas yep. wilford is doing these heinous acts because he just thinks he has the right to right he wants to be yep. i'm the judge and i get to determine who's worthy of living right mm-hmm. so it's a very very um interesting we're handling this this topic and like bong joon bong Joon-ho is like an amazing director and like i love his films 
It's yes. So I love everything you just said about this movie because it is truly, like you said, it's one of Chris Evans' best movies, in my opinion. Um, in to the point about like how like it being placed on the train definitely mm-hmm. adds like a whole other layer. Like the, like the situation, like you forget sometimes. Like I remember when I first watched it, I forgot at some points. Like oh yeah, they are on a train. Like they're on a train yeah. that's going around the world, <laughs> and it's like all this stuff is going on, and it's just like also like this. It's like it it's it's very much reminded me of Hunger Games when I first watched it. Yeah, but, like, it is. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the whole like when you get down to it, like the whole issue of class and mm-hmm. like uh, like oh, and of course, like you said, the issues of um, climate change and all this other stuff, and then like it it's really 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 good and compelling but then like also the acting is top notch like it is everyone was like really good yeah like the scene you were talking about with chris evans when he's like talk like he's like the thing i hate about myself the most is and it's like dang it's like I, i'm like how do you get to that space to portray that character like it's just very very moving and good yeah, yeah. it's, it's like just- it's, it's, I think it's a it's an underrated sci-fi classic for sure. Oh yeah, but I think it's also one of his most underrated performances because, like, no, no, that I think the good thing about him ending, um, him being finished with Captain America and the mm-hmm. MCU is that he can get back to doing these kind of films. Like, not that he wasn't yeah. doing films while he was making the MCU films, but like, now yeah. everyone when you see him, like, you can look through, you can look through his other filmography and look and see yeah. what he's done it's like he uh, he is more than just captain america yeah. yes he's a quintessential captain america but he's more than just that he's a phenomenal actor mm-hmm. and i want to see him get more gritty world more gritty roles i want to see him in comedy i want to see him in more yeah. rom i want to see him in more actions but with yeah. a, like different storylines to what we see in captain america mm-hmm. i would let i don't think i've seen him play a villain he oh he did it in the Broadway play that he recently did. I right. Well, yeah, the one it. with the porn stash. Yes, the yes. Boston cop porn stash. Yes. Yep. The Boston um, what's cop it called? porn stash. Um, <laughs> um, it's, um, lobby, lobby hero. I think it's lobby hero. It's it's lobby just, hero, I think. Because yeah? that's the one Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, that is him. They both did yeah. that. I was just like, ah, I want to see it. I wanted to see it so bad. Um, because yeah, he plays a. Well, even if you even even if you didn't know what the thing was, looking at him, I'm like, you look like a racist cop. He whew, that haircut and that mustache was not a good combo <laughs> for our boy. I was just like, oh no, I still love you, baby, but no, but no, <laughs> that must get rid of that mustache and that haircut. Do something else. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but it, I, it was, I can't wait to see what he does next. I know. I'm looking forward to like the, he did an interview. I think it was Hollywood Reporter recently, and they did like an in-depth interview, like what's next for you. And it seems like he definitely wants to do. He's like he's glad to be like. Of course, it was an honor, as he said, like to play the role of Captain America. But like, to your point, Carolyn, I think when you're when you're playing a uh, Marvel superhero or like a big role, like blockbuster character for so long, it, it's not that it overshadows. What he what he's doing on the other end of things, but it's not getting as much attention. That's for sure. Yeah, like yeah, Snowpiercer came out like probably after a little bit before Civil War came out. If I'm getting my dates correct, what what um, Snowpiercer? Yeah, I think that came Snowpiercer out. Snowpiercer came bit. out in 2013, okay. and Captain America came out. Let me check. Because uh, he has sure. the beard. Yeah. Uh, First Avenger came out in 2001. 11. 2001? So Captain, America First, Captain America First Avenger came out in 2011. Yeah. Snowpiercer came out in 
2013. Yeah. But then he also did another film that I that is like one of my favorite sci-fi films is Sunshine. He mm. doesn't have like that big of a role. Yeah. Um, but um uh, because see what Sunshine came out. I keep calling it, is it Sunshine? Sunspot? I think I'm calling it's with it's the one with Dan no. Cook and Ryan Reynolds. It's Sunshine. Yeah, 2007. That's with Celia Murphy and Clive Davis. Yeah. Um, like I love this sci-fi. And so it's 2007. So of course it's before the MCU. But you know, he doesn't have a very big role in it. Like he was mm-hmm. still very good in like the scenes that he had. Right. Yeah. And I tell people like it's one of the like one of his best performances because he like what a lot of people forget is like when you have a character and you don't do much that like, you don't have much to do, but what you you make it count. Like he makes his character, he makes his character count in Sunshine, yeah. right? Like you're like you you got in there, you did what you had to do, then you died, but mm-hmm. you did it and you did it well, exactly. right? Um, like someone was telling me about a film called Puncture, so I'm gonna check that out. I don't think I've watched that, but oh, I seen I I know that one. I think I know the one I'm t- you're talking about. Um, yeah, because I don't think I've watched. I may have, like, I watch a lot of films on Sundays. I forget the, like, <laughs> the names. Um, mm-hmm. Let me see, this one. So, Puncher came out in 2011, too. So, this came out the same yep. time as Captain America, um, First Avenger. Yeah. So, it starts Chris Evan, Mark Cassidy, Van- Vanessa. I don't think I've watched this. Um, okay, yeah. No, I haven't watched this one. But I know, like, so one of his first leading roles I think was cellular and he was really mm-hmm. good at cellular like cellular is like can't be like action yep. fun but like he was still pretty damn good at cellular I'm like Chris Evans yep. has always been a good actor like, he always whatever roles he has he always makes it come right and I'm like oh yeah so like, he puts his so all on in it for sure it's yeah. just so good and I, I can't wait to see what's next for him and all his other things I think it's rumored that he wants to direct and I feel like yeah that sounds like the natural progression for him yeah but- he oh. directed before. He has a film that he um a film oh, that he wrote started. and directed himself. The one yeah, who direct more, I should say. Yeah, I mean, uh, direct more, but like, yeah. and not like be so much in front. But whatever he puts out, I'm gonna watch. So mm-hmm. yeah, just keep being the best, Chris, and be unproblematic, and I will always support you. Please so. stay unproblematic and stop taking pictures with people that you shouldn't, Chris. Please. Uh, yeah, yeah. Stay away from those people. Thank you. Stay away. Stay away. <laughs> uh, yeah. On that note, um, <laughs> I watched Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, it's the it's on Netflix, uh, but it is just it's everything. So I'll just quick synopsis. This intimate, in-depth look at Beyonce's celebrated 2018 Coachella performance reveals the emotional road from creative concept to cultural movement. It is that. It is definitely that. Like, I have loved Beyonce for so long, like from Destiny's Child when I was first introduced to her to even now. But it's more than just that she is a great entertainer and singer and very talented. It's just that, and this, I say all this because this documentary does a great reason when people are like, what's the big deal about Beyonce? Or like people, I feel like always throw out contrarian arguments of like, she's not that good. Or like, I just don't care for her. I'm like, and it's fine if you don't care for something that I don't care for. It's fine if you don't like an art, a musical artist. But I feel like when it comes to Beyonce, people love to be contrarian and just say something negative. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to show everyone this documentary and show them this this is why she's one of the greatest entertainers of our lifetime, because this woman truly is so many things. And it, like this documentary allows us to see 
different levels of that. Like just more than that, she's a dedicated artist and that she wants things to be done well and she wants to do them well and she wants to work hard and she enjoys to work hard to get them there. But also that she is human. Like all the, like I, I just think of like all the times when people want to attack her and say things like, that's not how you are mother. That's not how giving up birth is like, or like this or that. And I'm like, when you learn from like the documentary that she, the, the, complications she had through her pregnancy giving birth to the twins like Mm -hmm. she had high blood pressure toxemia i believe is the other thing like she had like she had issues and then like then they had to do an emergency c-section because one of the baby's hearts stopped beating for a little bit Mm -hmm. um so it's like she went through a bunch of these things like they literally had to cut her open and then you learn like i think maybe two weeks later after she was healed she goes into rehearsing for coachella Four months Crazy. of preparing. Four months. Yeah. Four months to get ready for a performance. And when you realize, wow, like she gets back here and like, and it's not like she didn't have surgery or anything because people are always so quick. Like, how did her body come back so quickly? Like, because the woman's rehearsing for 15 hours a day and doing all these things. And like, but it's more than like, it's not that she, it's the show is about her. It's also that you see through this documentary and like, I feel like even anyone who's seen the Coachella performance, you also see it through the performance, but like this documentary also shows how she uses her platform to bring our culture to the main stage so that mm-hmm. it can get attention. And then that it can get the, the, the limelight or not limelight to get the showcasing that it's deserved. Because when she says there's like the line, she's like, I'm the first black woman to headline Coachella. Ain't that about a bitch? I'm like, yeah, it is. Because Coachella been around for over two decades. There's no reason this should have been the first time a black woman headlined. And it's like, it's very powerful because like she's Beyonce. She can do that. She can criticize the people that hired her to do something in front of them. And they can't do nothing about it. Like to have that power, to have that agency over like your business, over yourself, over everything. Like she had, she doesn't have to answer to anybody. Cause and like that's like, like something I really admire about her is that she doesn't have to answer to anybody. How she wants things done is how they get done. How she has if she has a vision, she works with her team to bring that vision through. Oh, and that's the other thing. She directed this. So she yeah. directed this and also Ed Burke directed it with her. Um, so it's just again, it's just it's a credit to her craft, it's a credit to her dedication to our culture, like singing the Negro national anthem mm. at Coachella almost mm-hmm. made me, we- almost made me weep. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, I bet you none of these people, <laughs> none of those kids in the front row or like the few black kids that you do see on the camera who got to the front that we were to see like a lot of these people don't know the impact of this song. And, like, no, what they don't know what it means. I'm like, you don't know what this song means. Uh, this is about emancipation, civil yes. rights, about black people lifting, listen. Yes, lift every voice. It's, I was just like, I was dang near crying. I'm like, oh, thank you, Beyonce. Thank you so much. And I'm like, it's like, it's, it's just because she does all of this. And it's not just for herself, but it's also because she wants to make something that'll leave an impact that yes. she knows she can be proud of, but it's going to be like her daughter can be proud of, her mother can be proud of, that it can, that's going to be long lasting. And I love the whole thing about like having she had 200 performers on that stage with her. They had to perform, they had to rehearse it front and back in order for everything to go the way she went, like she saw it. And there's this great clip of her giving notes on rehearsal. And she's just very, and 
she's the boss. She's not bossy. I feel like that there's a difference that people have to understand that it's very powerful and it's very inspiring to see a black woman be able to give her notes, be able to stand, like tell them what she wants and then have, make sure people follow through with it. And it's, it's, it's not in some kind of diva way. She's just like, this needs to be better here. We need more of this. We need more of that. And it has to go like this way, how I want it this way because of this. Like she thinks of every detail she was in, at, involved at every planning stage from the scripting before the rehearsals, she, she was involved with every audition. She like, she handpicked everybody. Yes. That, that, that is just like the dedication to do that. And then also she makes a point of like, it just seems it's great that they were able to create a space for people who like the performers, the dancers, the musicians, the, the chorus, like all these people like to bring them into this space for four months and then also for the performances and they were not, they were not marginalized to have a free space, to be creative, to create something new that no one's ever seen before together and not be marginalized, not have to do with microaggressions, <laughs> like to, to just be free, a free open, like creative space. That just seems like, man, I want to be there. I wish I could dance or like play an instrument so I could join Beyonce's band. <laughs> but it's just like, uh, that, that means something. Because it's hard to find that kind of creative space when you're a black creative or in a, a creative of color in general to find mm-hmm. that space. Um, and yeah, and now I have stand enough. So it's just so good. Y'all should watch <laughs> it. If you, I like, I needed a pep talk and I just, I watched the, the documentary again earlier this week. Cause I'm like, I need something that's going to encourage me. I'm gonna watch homecoming again. Yeah. I'm um, going to watch that. I haven't watched it yet. Girl, it'll be, it'll be a treat. You'll enjoy, I think you'll really, really enjoy it. There's really great parts where, um, like through, there's like, it's kind of like chapters and like there, it starts off with a quote from actual historically black, um, college alumni mm-hmm. so who attended or, fo- or founded, um, uh, well-known, authors there's a few i think there's a few voiceovers of that play of uh what's her name chimamanda i cannot say her last name chimamanda Adichie, yeah um yes. uh yeah so let me see so she's the americana mm-hmm. that's a quote from his friend that book yeah so there's some yeah. quotes from her um there's some quotes from angela davis there's just quotes from like so many black creatives and like also hbcu alumni and then like it's just very powerful and it's very educational for people who aren't from I, I understand that when we say hbcu um there's a lot of people who still don't understand what that is and that it's a historically black college universities and again yeah. i feel like i've ever since homecoming came out i had to explain to people like oh did you see the new beyonce documentary i'm like yeah i think i loved it because like that's the whole like H- it gives you like it's paying homage to the hbcus and you get to see how all the work went into it. like what do you and like i've explained to people like what that is They're like oh or is it colleges only black people went to i'm like no they're historically black colleges because they were founded by black people because we weren't allowed to go to the colleges that already existed and it's yep. like, and I, I, yeah. And I mean, like, I'm trying to like, I, I understand it's, this isn't taught in schools. Like people don't understand that. And I'm like, HBCUs, I've always wanted to go to one, um, but I did not have money for an expensive school. So I did not go to one. Um, so, but it's also nice to just see, like, I, I appreciate so much that goes into like the black Greek organizations and then like seeing Beyonce take that. And then she's the same way. She always wants to go to one also. So that's like a big contributing factor why she wanted to do this. 
and like there's other meanings into it but i don't want to spoil that i want y'all to go into this with what i've said and enjoy it um and have a good time yay (laughs) and with that i believe we are all wrapped up Mm -hmm. we are good as always you guys can find us at um, well let me pull up you can find me at la <laughs> underscore ney underscore sha you can find the show at shwh underscore pod and carolyn where can they find you you can find me on twitter at c-a-r-i-i what, what am i saying at C-A-R-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. So Carrie C-N-H-12 on Twitter. And Lanisha and I are always on Twitter talking about anime, yep. films, mm-hmm. TV shows, music, thirsting, you know, random stuff. A lot of it thirsting. recently has been about Endgame. But, yep. oh, and Lanisha also has, the, there's another podcast that Lanisha does with Kate called But Did You Have To? <laughs> and it looks like they might be doing Avatar the last airbender that I've action soon. I'm going to be looking forward to that um, episode because, oh. ooh, that movie. Don't yeah, so you, can, you guys can also listen up for that podcast and, and for that episode because I'm sure it's going to be coming quite soon. Well, first, mm, I hope not soon, anytime yeah. soon. I just want to keep pushing it away just like Ghost in the Shell. But thank you for giving that show a shout out. But you better join us when we live tweet because... I, I need just some listen. I I want to because I've seen that movie and I, there's parts I erased from my memory. I very the only person people I remember are Death Patel mm-hmm. and the dude that was in Twilight. I oh. never remember his name. Which one? The vampire or the werewolf? The vampire guy. Oh. He's in that, isn't he? He play, He's the one who plays Patterson. um Patterson Pattinson. Not James, no, the guy. The one who was um the the chick with the black hair, her he was her love interest. Isn't that him? After her last Airbender. Oh girl, I don't know. <laughs> that? He plays. I never watched. Doesn't I he never watched the Twilight. <laughs> doesn't he? You what? You, I never watched it. The, <laughs> I never watched any of the Twilight. What? I just I couldn't get into it. <laughs> oh, I just remembered his name, Jasper. The guy who plays oh. the girl with the long brown hair in Avatar. The key his the guy who I think the guy who plays his her sister. What am I saying? The oh no, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Is in Twilight. Yeah, Jasper, the guy who played Jasper, him. Okay. I, yes. I basically remember that and some parts from it, like, but yeah, that movie was whew, a trip. Uh, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, or anywho, so we're wrapping it. So you guys can look up for um, for Lenisha's other podcast with Kay and look up for the live tweet announcement for Avatar Last Airbender and also me on every Saturday night. I co-host um, a live tweet called Saturday Night Sci-Fi. And this, I'm, let me see, when is this? I'm not sure when this episode is going to air, but you can catch us there every Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, we watch sci-fi films from all over the world, mm-hmm. from independent to blockbusters. So you can give us suggestions on what you would like us to watch and yes we're always on twitter yes up there we are and with that before we go one more thing if you guys could rate and review our podcast it will mean the most to us on whatever podcast listening app or device or platform you listen to us on we would greatly appreciate it because the rates and reviews do help us get found by more listeners and it also is really nice to know what you guys think of the show from time to time so thanks and then if we get any reviews we'll be sure to shout you out on here and read them online um and then lastly 
Oh, sorry, go ahead. We'll also be posting our PayPal link in the show notes. So if you can, yep. please donate or spread the word. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. And that's exactly what I was going to say. You already see, you got me. Well, mm-hmm. with that, we will talk to y'all another time. See you later. Bye. Bye.